Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. There were a number of uh, clothing stores that sold men's suits. uh, And uh, these young men who had never worn a suit in their life uh, were exposed to the choice uh, of suits and some bizarre suits came out of those trips. (laughs) On one of these trips we uh, uh, decided to go into a uh, church facility there. It actually was two auditoriums. And uh, as prominent in downtown uh, Los Angeles, uh, this church was pastored by a man uh, that uh, I had had a tremendous ministry. He, uh, when I was in Bible school, this man was in on radio ministry, very prominent. And I was curious uh, about uh, that church and about that building, and I took those young men into that building. Uh, If I remember correctly, the uh, first auditorium we went into was uh, seated about 1,500 people. Very large auditorium for normal a Pentecostal church, and beside it was another auditorium. I can't remember how many that had, and it was quite a prominent building. There was a custodian, a little old gentleman that came. He was uh, very congenial to us, very happy, and uh, that we had come to look at this auditorium. And we're looking through this auditorium that evidently had been a major move of God. And he's saying with uh, twinkles in his eyes, I've seen these auditorium filled. He's reminiscing. And we said to him, how many people actually attend here now? And if I recall correctly, it was just over 25 people. What a sad commentary unto the ability to propagate and to continue the work that God had begun. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, that could someday happen here. Could happen to your church. Could happen to what God is doing. Unless Something takes place of a dynamic of the Spirit of God that begins to lay hold of the hearts of the people who are involved that cause them to propagate that which God has begun. Propagation is a word it says to cause to continue or increase to pass along to Uh, offspring to cause to spread out and affect a greater number or a greater area. 
In the text we're going to read, we are reading the statement of what transpired in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples were given a charge, and these eleven men went forth from that place, and as they went forth from that place, they touched the world. Churches were planted in Africa, churches were planted in India, churches were planted in Spain, churches were spent, uh, planted in Europe, uh, even into England. The impact uh, of that move of God uh, carried out uh, the spirit uh, of propagation. It is no accident that that happened. It happened because there were certain dynamics uh, that were continued uh, that Jesus began. Matthew 28, verse 16. Turn there with me. Then the eleven disciples went away from Gal- into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has be given, been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you in law. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to talk to you about the propagation of the church. Very simply, to begin with, if you're going to propagate the church of Jesus Christ, uh, And what you and I know and experience, you're going to have to produce uh, indigenous workers. I want you to think with me about this for a moment. Workers are always the issue. In the scripture, Jesus gives admonition constantly using uh, that imagery. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, uh, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest uh, to send out labors into uh, his uh, harvest. So here's the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a constant emphasis upon workers. He tells the story of the 11th hour labors. You know the story, the beginning of the day, the middle of the day, the 11th hour labors. He tells the story of a father who has two sons uh, that he says uh, uh, to them, uh, I want you to go into my, uh, into my field and work. Uh, one of them said, I will not. Later he repented and went. The other said, I will go, but he did not go. And so here is the issue. The challenge tonight is to t- find workers, uh, to challenge workers, uh, and to train them uh, to be indigenous workers. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. But as we ponder that for a moment, uh, uh, we're talking about moving from the traditional church mold of making workers to the biblical method, uh, and the biblical method is discipleship uh, to make uh, an indigenous worker. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 13. And when it was day, he called uh, his disciples to himself, and from those uh, he chose twelve whom he also named uh, apostles. Later, he chooses 70 others, uh, Luke 10, and sends them out. uh, And so here we have a departure from the church mold or the religious mold uh, of his day. The Jewish model 
was the rabbinical schools. When Jesus came on the scenes, uh, he departed from that mold uh, and he began to use uh, another method uh, and that method uh, uh, departed from the theological and the technical uh, methodology and precepts and laws uh, and he said to them, uh, I have a new method, follow me. Now note that for a moment because that is a distinct departure from the method of the hour. This is the New Testament church pattern. In verse 19, let's look again, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. In Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a, while, for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples uh, were first called Christians uh, in uh, Antioch. When evangelism uh, is successful... Uh, uh, it reaches other people, uh, but as these other people are reached, uh, then there's a necessity uh, for teaching them, uh, and that's what discipleship is all about, uh, and this is what the word uh, uh, follow me is all about. Follow me. Come with me. Walk with me. And be like me uh, is a, a radical change uh, from uh, an institution uh, and in Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 Paul writes to Timothy and he says the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses commit these uh, to faithful men uh, who will be able to teach others uh, also not only that but in time uh, if this continues in the pattern uh, this means then that there's going to be a demand for leaders to be raised up among those who have been saved in the church. And Titus 1.5 documents that that indeed did take place. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders or pastors in every city that, that, as I commanded you. So in other words, from the local church now, there's going to be a dynamic. It's going to be from the local church. It's not going to be in a, church ad in a newspaper advertisement. Can I get somebody in that will help us do the work? From that local church, now we're going to be leaders that are, that are raised up. And there's going to be a formal recognition and a setting in order. There are instructions that are found in First and Second Timothy, First and Second Thessalonians that have to do with the conduct of these who are going to lead the people of God. There's going to be pastors raised up. There are going to be from those, there are going to be those that begin to rise and excel. There are going to be bishops. And we're talking about not a corporate model. We're talking about something that's very distinctive, and that is that 
People are going to be evangelized. They're going to be reached. They're going to be trained. They're going to develop from within the congregation. And they're going to be thrust out. This is not a corporate model. If we could, if we could use an imagery perhaps, it's entrepreneurial. And it is a franchising, if you could use that imagery. And there's going to be a distinctive model that is there Making indigenous workers uh, is what you and I have been called to do. There's a second principle that I want to leave with you, and there's going to have to be a launch base. Now, this is an obvious element, uh, and as we uh, ponder this for a moment, uh, any large-scale enterprise uh, uh, is going to evolve uh, where it's going to have to have certain requirements. Uh, it's going to have to have certain organization uh, of personnel, uh, certain organization uh, of resources, uh, and that is a, a foregone conclusion if there is any success in reaching numbers of people. I read an article uh, sometime last year. Uh, Adam, I'm not sure that you're aware that there's a very powerful uh, movement of a deceptive spirit uh, that is putting the emphasis on house churches uh, degrading people having buildings, uh, the church model. Uh, and this man writes a testimony that he was a part, uh, and part of this uh, uh, can be uh, attributed to what's called the emerging church. This man became a part of that, and as he became a part of that, he said it had certain benefits. It wasn't all bad. Uh, it had an intimate relationship with other people and an interchange, and it gave a, a expression. But he said the difficulty is that was limited, extremely limited in what they could do, and he began to decide that if he's going to fulfill his destiny and purpose, he needed to become a part of something that was larger, and he joined a church, and he writes his testimony. He said, I'm not saying that this group that I was a part of was evil, but he said it was very limited, and a very limited scope. He said, now, being a part of a church, I've been on impact teams overseas. We have sent out our own missionaries. We're able to make a very large impact, and he says, and this expression, and he's giving this testimony, and it's very interesting. Now, look at the scripture that we have, because the Bible uh, records are very clear. And as Jesus gave them command uh, to go into all the world and make disciples, uh, one of the places they went that made tremendous impact, you can read the history yourself, is Antioch. Antioch became a launch base. It, became to, it began to evolve because they're very successful uh, in reaching people. Listen to Acts 13 verses 2 uh, uh, through four, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed over to the island of Cyprus. So what we have is a number of things here. We have a, a dynamic church 
God is moving powerfully. People are getting saved. They're laying hold of God. And what we have then in that launch base are people that were willing to leave and to launch off in the preaching of the gospel. And this is Barnabas and Paul. So it goes without saying tonight, in addition to the prayer and the fasting and the support and the financing, it goes without saying that there was an example there in that church. And that example apparently by leadership was a thrust beating in the hearts of leadership We want to reach out beyond, uh, and they have to challenge these people, gave them a vision, uh, and by the example that they set, uh, they had workers that were willing to leave uh, and to go. I was talking to Pastor Joe Campbell some time ago. We were concerned about a man uh, that uh, it it wasn't happening. The words and the cliches were there, and uh, we're discussing, and this is over uh, quite some period of time. And finally, Joe Camel said, Pastor Mitchell, it's just not in him. (laughs) If it's not in you, it's just not in you. What was it Joe Lewis said? You ain't got it, you just ain't got it. So what we have then is a launch base, and that is a natural involvement, and a launch base is a sending church. And I want to tell you, if it's not in you, it's just not in you, but if you want to survive, you better get it in you. We have the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? So it infers that there is a dynamic and a thrust. And you can read into that. There is a financial support. It goes without saying, if you're going to send, it's going to incur responsibility to support. And this is built into that. Fellowship is one of the great words of the New Testament. How many of you have ever heard the word fellowship? (laughs) Fellowship is a wonderful word. And that word literally means a partnering together. And this is the great word of the New Testament. In the book of Galatians, chapter 2 and verse 9, And when James, Cephas, and John who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas uh, the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles uh, and they to the uncircumcised. In the book of Second Corinthians 8 and uh, verse 4, the Bible says, uh, imploring us uh, with much urgency that we should receive the gift uh, and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. So what we have then is this principle, and this principle is that there is, by involvement of success in reaching people, these dynamics begin to be made apparent. And in world evangelism, that's just not one time. That's of a long-term commitment. Philippians 4 Verses 15 and 16, Paul said, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. 
For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again for my necessities. So here we have then this principle, a launch base, not only a launch base, but a support base, not only once, but a partnering together for the common good over the long haul. And we know that just launching is not the end of the story. That means that there's a relationship, and we find Paul very interesting. The Bible records that there are continuing ties with this launching church in Antioch. Not only that, but he comes back, he gives reports in this church. There's a, he knows that he has a responsibility to this church. He gives reports to this church that launched, uh, and to the whole fellowship, uh, he has a responsibility to that, uh, back to Antioch, back to report, up to Jerusalem, uh, back to Antioch, Antioch again, because uh, this principle has evolved now through the success of ministry, uh, and he's accountable. Not only is he accountable, uh, but he feels there is a covenant uh, relationship and fellowship uh, that he must uh, continue. Bear with me tonight. I want to read you a letter. We have leadership meetings in Phoenix uh, uh, before every January conference, and we uh, deal with issues that we need to uh, clarify. Uh, we have done this for many, many years. Some of the things that we set in place were uh, discussed and were, uh, uh, were decided on in that. And as we usually do, uh, when we get finished, we've all had our say and, and saying this and saying that. And then we say to Pastor Harold Warner, Harold, would you write us a letter and get us a paper on this? This is one of these papers. This was in January of 2004. Bear with me as I read this letter. Pastor Mitchell, you asked me about any thoughts regarding church structure, the indigenous church and so on. Our aim and focus has always been to plant indigenous churches. We've always defined this as churches that we become self-propagating, self-supporting, and self-governing. This is based on our understanding of the dignity of the local church. Our vision was never to plant independent churches. They would never have been the vision or the continued support to, for such a venture or investment. There's something in people that even though they're giving to God's work, they need to see the fruit of their investment. This is especially so over the long haul. If this does not happen, then people will stop giving and making sacrifices. For someone to wave the banner of the indigenous church as justification for leaving the fellowship and going their own way then, I believe this is a cover-up for the real direction we want to be independent from any kind of outside influence, responsibility, or accountability. Our understanding is that we're not independent, uh, but we're interdependent. This is how we have always functioned. So now we hear about autonomous churches. This is new and definitely not the same as indigenous. The dictionary defines it as having a self-government, functioning independently without control by others, Biologically, it refers to existing, functioning, or developing independently of other parts or forms. Uh, this so-called autonomous church is often a smokescreen for the autonomous pastor. I believe the violation in this, which is one of the things I preached in our conference, is the violation of the generational promise, principle, and blessing in the Bible. 
Many, many places God talks about the generation to come. He's concerned about this and the investment that must be made here. The promise of Pentecost is that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. There was a generational promise and blessing here. This is both physical and spiritual. The passing on of a godly heritage. This generational blessing is to produce a generation of full-grown sons who still have affection for and appreciation for the fathers who mentored them in the faith. A spirit of independence threatens to fragment the spirit of family that the kingdom of God functions in best. The strength of our fellowship has always been family. For we don't always perfectly achieve that or act in light of it. It is still our goal and inspiration. If this vital connection of the progression from one generation to the next is broken, then something is lost in the kingdom. Church's vision, unity will all deteriorate. Finally, this all takes on a covenantal nature. It is very common, for instance, in Africa for an uncle, grandfather, cousin, or older brother to sponsor someone to help them get an education or start a business. Uh, this is done with the understanding uh, that once they get on their feet, they will do the same uh, with another. This way, the wealth and resources of the family and community are invested back into the next generation. This brings a knowledge that others have worked uh, to contribute to our welfare and development. It also brings a responsibility that once you begin to prosper, that you go back and bless those uh, who have blessed you. This is not a burden, but a blessing. It is also how the kingdom of God uh, operates. Uh, I want to share with you for a moment uh, on finally a self-sustaining uh, model. What is the meaning of being indigenous? It literally means native. It literally means uh, having an origin, this is from within, Having, an, uh, having originated in and uh, being produced, uh, growing, living, uh, or occurring naturally in a particular region or environment. This is God's principle uh, in creation. This principle is in all living things. Whose seed, the Bible says, uh, is in itself. After his kind be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So in other words, what we're dealing with is the church must reproduce itself. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14, the apostle Paul says, you became followers of the churches of God. Here we have that word follow again. And it literally means a pattern. It means a model that it reproduces. And we could add to that the fidelity. And what we have then in this is a church raised up to repeat the pattern of the mother church. And so that it is able to support its own ministry. Now, self-supporting ministries are the aim that we have in our fellowship. This means that a congregation ought to aim towards, and every pastor ought to aim towards, 
putting in those people a responsibility that they will support him, that he can follow, uh, that he can properly pursue and follow the feeding uh, of the sheep. In First Timothy five seventeen and 18, the Bible says uh, these words, let the pastors who rule well. Let me just pause right there because a very strong movement is coming uh, of not pastors uh, but a committee. If you have a King James Bible, this is why you have to watch your translation. The King James Bible says, let the pastors who lead. That's not the word at all. If you're a Bible student, get out your study, go to your Greek, go back and find out. It's not what it, it means exactly what it says, let the pastors who rule. Blink at me. Let the pastors who rule well be counted worthy of double honor or financial support, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Now, if you're going to twist that into your own doctrine and agenda, then you might as well take the whole Bible, throw it away, and forget about it, and just have religious uh, uh, meetings like Amway, and uh, give testimonies of how much money you've made, and so on. But the Word of God says what it says. Can you say, say amen? And this is one of the important uh, elements uh, that release a dynamic of whose seed is in itself. Many years ago, I believe it was 1964 probably, my wife and I uh, took the pastor of a uh, four-square church in uh, Emmett, Idaho. Beautiful little city, uh, lumber mill town, agricultural area. That church uh, had never in the history of the church ever supported its pastor. The pastor, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, worked at various things uh, and uh, it was almost a point of pride. They were able to support, uh, but they had never supported, uh, and it was almost a point of pride uh, that he worked uh, at secular jobs uh, to support himself. I'm going into Emmett, Idaho with a wife and five children. Still with me? I said, this is, uh, this is not going to work. I preached for a solid month every Sunday morning on money. I have to admit that it not only was a biblical inspiration, it was a desperation. <laughs> At the end of that, that church totally supported us, and the last I knew, it was still supporting a pastor because the Word of God was preached. <laughs> now, let's think for a moment uh, as we ponder this because this is more important than just raising some money to support a preacher. There is a seed that is a, a, whose seed is in itself uh, that is involved there. There's a life principle. We are successful in ministering in many third world countries. Some years ago, Tom Paine went to Nairobi, Kenya, and we had a very strong work there. Uh, that uh, Nairobi con uh, uh, church was a uh, conference church. Uh, we sent uh, considerable sums of money to put that on, 
And after the first year, Pastor Payne said, this is not right. He challenged the third world people. You can support your own conference. Uh, you can support this. Uh, and uh, in one preaching of putting the principle of the Bible out, uh, that conference has to this day, many years later, still totally paid for itself uh, because the money was there in those people. One of the pastors who had pastored there before said, uh, these people are poor. They don't have the ability uh, that we have in America. Of course they don't. That's beside the point. Our aim and our goal is indigenous churches. Our aim and our goal is whose seed is in itself to reproduce uh, and uh, wherever you are that principle can be raised up uh, and it can function. See we have the choice. I have several uh, third world people that are here uh, from overseas. We have leaders that are here. We have missionaries that are here. What we have is a choice between a parasitic model and a reproductive model. If you don't know what a parasite is, uh, the Bible uses the imagery often of an oak tree. It's the most common, deeply spiritual principle. Uh, Abraham uh, met the, the Lord at the oak trees of Mamre and so on and so forth. But an oak tree, if you've ever uh, been circulated around, an oak tree quite often has on it uh, uh, a parasitic growth. Uh, and, uh, and what it is is mistletoe. Mistletoe is a living thing. But the difficulty is, and if we could give a definition for you, a parasite uh, is something that resembles a biological uh, a parasite in dependence on something else. Uh, it is a living thing for existence, uh, uh, for its existence or support uh, uh, without making a useful or adequate return. So let's think about this for a moment. Mistletoe is a living thing. It lives. It makes no contribution, whatever, to reproduction. It simply sucks the life uh, out of the tree that is attached to. Uh, and here we have a choice uh, that I put before you for both missionaries and those third world people to aim at. You can either be a reproducing congregation and ministry or you can be a parasite. Okay, well, these are poor people. Poor people can function reproduce themselves, plant churches out of that church, uh, and your aim from get-go ought to be. That doesn't mean that we don't give help, we don't send teams, we don't do crusades, uh, but this is only a reinforcing principle. It is not to be something uh, that grows uh, and sucks its life out because there's a, there's a principle that is destroyed in that model. In the book, uh, that we have before us, 1 Corinthians 9, 7 through 10. 
Whoever goes toward his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink the milk of the flock, do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? Again we have this statement, for it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about, or does he say it all together for our sakes, for our sakes no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. Verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 9 says, Even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Unless this takes place, we're missing God, and we will never ever propagate uh, a movement uh, that will continue. This has to do with the third world uh, and uh, the first world. Can you say amen? amen? Say amen with me. Say amen. amen. Great preaching, Pastor Mitchell. Praise God. <laughs> because this warps uh, a principle of God, uh, a natural seed principle, uh, and it's warped uh, whose seed is in itself after his kind. Great dignity is gained by a church that is able to support its pastor. We thank God for every working pastor here, but I want to tell you that that should at the very least be a temporary aim and a goal. Your goal ought to be that that church is able to support you not, of course, on the level uh, of the high-flying that this generation has produced uh, that they think they must have and cannot get out, uh, get, uh, go without, but on a level that will sustain you. Uh, your children will never starve to, get, to death in this if you will discipline yourself. My wife and I pastored. We could have uh, got on the welfare roll of any city we ever pastored in. We live below the poverty level, uh, and none of our children have been warped, except maybe Greg. I'm not sure about him. <laughs> none of them ever looked like ragamuffins. None of them ever lacked. And uh, uh, all of them will tell you they were raised in a normal family uh, and uh, we adjusted to, because we wanted to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, we wanted to see a development. Can you say amen? And this is the principle that you must aim for. The tendency always uh, is the parasitic mo um, uh, uh, model. I can attach myself to, uh, and I can, there's life there. And I can suck the life out, uh, but that is not God's principle. And you're violating that church. You're violating the movement. You will never sustain yourself before uh, longer than one generation. And Paul writes in the Scripture, and he says, I robbed other churches to minister to you. That's wrong. And I'm repenting now, and I'm writing back to you. Uh, you need to step up to the plate, uh, and you need to do that which is uh, to be done. Not only was Paul a man who uh, began to believe this and propagate this and properly set this in order, but he, after establishing one church uh, here, he did it again. And after they were established, he did it again. And after that was established, he did it again. Can you say amen? amen. 
if you want to propagate yourself uh, beyond one generation, uh, you're going to have to embrace this in heart and soul and spirit. Uh, and not only in the New Testament did they sustain, uh, but they sent money that other churches could be helped. Second Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, and I conclude. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. We're rapidly moving in our movement to an era where both pastors and churches are being strongly motivated by self-interest. This has been a very, very interesting week for me. This has been a week that I have never experienced before. My alarm bells are going off. I already had this sermon prepared, but this week has borne out this principle. We have to do with climate. I have to do with how much remuneration. What's the benefit? My preference. And almost to a man, let me say to you sitting in this building, almost to a man, the rebels who left our fellowship were men who God had dealt with to leave what they have and take the challenge to go somewhere else, some of them overseas, some of them other places, almost to a man. But they had become entrenched it's easy. How many of you know that we're great theologians? We can create theology for anything we want to do. And we can point out a Bible verse that proves it. <laughs> Almost to a man. They had entrenched themselves. Uh, they today are history. They today have disintegrated. Uh, they today are simply a shadow of what they once were. Uh, and today, many of these are not in the ministry uh, and the ones uh, that are uh, are not making the former impact uh, that their ministry had. Joe Camel said to me some three to four years ago, Pastor, it's just not in him. I don't believe that that is a necessity. I believe that God can put in you. Are you still with me? I believe God can put in you uh, that indigenous principle that he needs to put in with you. Think with me for a moment now. Here I am with these former hippies. We're in an auditorium and it's evident that there had to be a lot of people and this old man with a gleam in his eye said, I've seen this auditorium filled. I mean, it, 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 it was the highlight of his memory. But when we sadly ask him, how many people attend here now? Twenty-five people. I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, 
love God, and love people.